Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. All right, so I want you to turn to Psalm chapter one. We are in a summer in the Psalms. Some of you wanted me to call it a summer in the Psalms. Uh, I did not do that. Thought it would be funny and then it would get old and then we'd all wish we hadn't done it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, and so we're not going to do that, but we are in the Psalms, and we're going to take the next couple months uh, to, to, to talk through a few different Psalms and talk about, and the reason we kind of have themed it this way is because the Psalms should take you on a journey. And I'm going to show you a video in just a minute that should explain that to you and kind of give you a glimpse of what that means. I want you to know this, that if you go to our c3fortworth.com forward slash hub, H-U-B, because that's a cool way to say something. C3FortWorth.com forward slash hub. You'll find all the resources, including a 90-day reading plan through the Psalms. A 90-day reading plan through the Psalms. You'll find an overview of what the Psalms is all about. And there is much more to the Psalms than just opening your Bible on a bad day, pointing to one of them and going, praise God, hallelujah. Or going, wait, let me try that again, because you went to the one that was lament. How dare you heap all these things? Oh, no, that's not what I was looking for. God, you're still with me. Yes, that's it. I'm good. Yes. Y'all acting like you're not. You all know you just don't want to admit it. You did it yesterday. I did it yesterday because I went and played. Well, I went to a birthday party that turned into a basketball game. Jesse said I had to play. And then one of his buddies, who's more of a football player, ran into me. We were on the same team. And he dead legged me. And so I keep stepping down and then stepping back up. And y'all don't know it, but that hurt. That hurt. This hurts. Praise God. And so we'll be all right. But uh, uh, I wouldn't knock out three times, so we're good. I, we even did the Steph Curry knockout from inside the circle at half court. I don't think I won that one. But regardless, I want you to watch this video because the Psalms has far more to it than we tend to give it credit for. Mary's like, why are you talking about that? That we give it credit for. We, we, tend to, um, we, we tend to just think of it as these kind of like compartmentalized verses that they're randomly written at random times and they've just kind of happened to all flow together. And no, there's so much more to this than we often give it credit for. So I want you to check out this video by a group called The Bible Project, who's one of my favorite places to go. They're just so brilliant at unpacking Scripture that you, you could find uh, all kinds of things on uh, all the books of the Bible, really, and all kinds of different themes. Uh, I think they're great. So I want you to watch this five-minute video on the Psalms to give you a little bit of an overview about what we're jumping into today. Poetry in the Bible. How biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. These poems invite us into an experience to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're going to look at here. Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. 
And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple. And here, humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms and so are exiled from the garden. But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they're planted in the river of God's life. Yeah, that's beautiful. But who's it supposed to be? Well, remember that story in Genesis? After humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh, right. A future human. The seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes. And then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion, praising God for his faithfulness. Cool. Now, nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one guy, King David, who God chose to rule Israel. Yes, David's story is really important in this book. He experienced many times of hardship, but he trusted God with radical faith. And in these poems, David shares his fears, confesses his failures, and offers thanks to his Redeemer. And he's constantly speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence in the temple. But wait, David lived before the temple was even built. Exactly. This portrait of David, hoping and praying for God's kingdom and a future temple, it resembles the hopes of the later generations of the exiles. And so David's prayers could become theirs as well. David's like a prayer coach, giving us words for how to pray and how to discover God's presence in good times and bad. Exactly. 
There are 73 poems connected to David, but most of the rest come from later generations of biblical poets, and they have learned to pray and hope like David. And so the end result is the book of Psalms, designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. This isn't a kind of book you just read once and put down. No, it's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection. These prayers and laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own. They're poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. All right, let's pray and close. Because I can't say anything better than what they just did, but they had editing. So, how many of you just right then, just in the last five minutes, found out something new about the Psalms? Yeah, some of you are like, no, I, yeah, I went to Bible school. Um, the one thing I love about the, my favorite part, and they reiterated it at the end, is that the Psalms becomes this sort of um, guide for those of us in exile. And the reality is that for many of us, really for all of us who call on Jesus, we are all in a sort of exile. We are all in a place where we are longing for what God is going to do and yet living in the faithfulness of what he's done. And there are times where we all feel the lament of the Psalms very vividly and strongly. And there are also times where we feel and understand the praise of the Psalms, the confession of the Psalms. And so it's why when we jump into the Psalms, we, we feel something different. We, we kind of identify with it in a different way because it was written by people who also feel a little bit like aliens in the world, who also feel a little bit like strangers in a place where they thought their kingdom had already come. They, they, they are longing for something. As we look upon the challenges of our world, challenges of our country, challenges of our own city or neighborhood or our own family, we can find ourselves in the Psalms going, God, how long? And yet, I praise you. And so we identify with it. And so Psalms should take on this greater meaning for you and I where we become people guided in prayer. These intentional, purposeful uh, psalms, songs, poetry placed in this 150 book, uh, 150 chapter psalms, five different books. And you guys have ever wondered why you read through the psalms and every, randomly every once in a while? Book one. Okay, book two. Because it is broken apart and it's intentional, retelling the story. Some would say you should attach it in many ways to the law, to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you should attach it to that almost as a retelling. Anybody uh, know the name Rick Steves? Is that the right name? I, I think I did it right. Rick Steves, anybody know the name? Yeah, I know. I knew Joel would because Joel and I are nerds together. Maybe, let me say a different one. Anthony Bourdain. Anybody know that name? Okay, Rick Steves is like a much less hip and cool version of Anthony Bourdain. Rick Steves is on PBS. But Rick Steves, when he shows you a place, it's wild, the things that come alive. You, you realize things. Mary and I used to have this favorite shows on CNN by Bill Weir. And I, I remember I, wrote, I had to write it down because I couldn't remember what it was called. The Wonder List. The Wonder List. And what's his name? The guy from uh, High School Musical just did one <laughs> on Netflix. Uh, yeah, so, only ladies spoke up. Okay, cool. So, um, so 
they, uh, they did this one where, and I love these shows. I love watching these shows and thinking I know a place until they go there. I remember I went to Vegas one time, and, um, and somebody said, you've got to go to the secret pizza. And I go, where is it? Well, they don't have a sign. They don't have a, and you had to go find it, and it was good. But it was like down this random hallway where you thought you were entering into this, like you were entering into the back locker area for all the workers. No, it was a pizza place. It was really good. It was secret. And you have to know, you have to know what you're getting into. You ever had some friends who know exactly where all the cool places are and none of them are on, uh, you know, the, the latest updated guide of the 25 best places to go. They're not on that list. You got to have the friends who live there or been there so many times they know the actually cool places to go, right? And you need those people. Maybe, maybe Psalms is meant to be that for us. I remember I took history class when I was in high school. Um, now, it was taught to me by a coach that coached football, and I'm pretty sure he got the job coaching football before he got the job coach, teaching history. Um, but I did take, one of them was great. One of them was really great. And, uh, and I learned history. And then, and then, I went to England with my dad. Uh, he was doing some ministry there for men, and I went to England, and we got to go do some castles. We went to Oxford. We didn't walk on the grass. We went to the pub where J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis hung out. We, we, we went to the dungeons. It's, and I'm telling you right now, I, I've never been more appreciative of history than when I went and saw history. I'd learned it in the textbook. I've, I'd read it. I'm pretty sure I'd passed most of it. And I'd done all those things. But it wasn't until I went. In fact, the one guy that I look to the most when it comes to studying Scripture is a guy named William Barclay. You guys have heard me quote him on numerous occasions. Well, the first time I ever picked up a William Barclay study Bible, I absolutely love them. He's got one for every book of the New Testament. These little guys right here. Just takes a few scriptures at a time and unpacks it. It's brilliant. The first time I ever picked one up was at a place, in fact, it's still got the name on it, that, uh, that I picked it up from. It's St. Andrew's Press, 121 George Street, Edinburgh. We walked by this little small bookstore. It was the coolest bookstore I've ever been in, 10 by 12. It was small. Books were just stacked on top of each other. You had to really want something. And I remember I picked this up, and I still have it. And I love it. And I bought all of them since. And I went to this place and I discovered things that I had not seen before because I, I, I actually was there, present. I understood what this was. And now, history stuff, it, 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 I love it. It unlocked something for me that I'd never, I never liked history class until I went someplace that had history. Walking these streets and seeing these buildings and seeing what had happened and seeing how things had happened and seeing different places had unlocked something. And the, the hope is that over the next couple months as we travel through the Psalms together, and we're not going to cover everything. That's why you should go grab the reading plan and, and dive in for yourself and begin to understand that this was written by people who had lost and gained and lost again. It's written by people who were longing for something better. How many of you can witness to that? How many of you guys can relate to that? Not just personally, but even as a, as a church and as a city and as a country, we long for something better, where we treat each other the right way, where we love each other, where we self-sacrificially, like the cross, love one another, where we do not put our agenda before our love for people. 
And there's this desire in the Psalms, this want in the Psalms to, to relive the story over and over and over again of God's faithfulness. How He's shown up. How He's revealed Himself. How He's never left. How He's never backed off. How He's always been present even in the toughest moments. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 1. And I cheated a little bit because uh, Psalm chapter 1 just happens to be one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of the Bible. And I'm not going to take too long on this because I want to just kind of set this up. As you heard in the, uh, in the video, Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of like an introduction. If you've ever read, how many of you guys are, when you read your books, because I know all of you are because we are a church that loves books. They're good. They're good for your mind. You should use them. There's words in there. They help you remember. Okay, anyways. Um, I've, I remember, I still remember Grandpa sitting next to me going, you need to read. And you didn't just, like, say no to Grandpa. Um, and so our whole family reads. <laughs> we, we read. And um, we don't read as fast as we buy, but we read. <laughs> and Psalm 1 and 2 are the intro. How many of you guys, when you read books, actually read the introduction? How many introduction readers? How many of you skip the introduction? You're like, what do you need that for? I know what this is. I'm an introduction reader in most cases. I want to know why this person decided to write this book. The, the introduction is meant to serve as a, as a kind of attention grabber. It is meant to get your attention and pull you in and say, this is why you should read this book. And so some of you guys have finished books, and y'all didn't realize you read it for the wrong reasons because you didn't read the introduction. The introduction is meant to pull you in and, and just give you a little bit of an understanding about why you should read this. And you, and you heard a bit about what Psalm 1 was alluding to, that it was alluding to the Genesis story. And that happens throughout Scripture. There's this going back to the Genesis story. We even celebrate that at Acts 2 Pentecost, that when the Holy Spirit breathed on His people, the, the new body of Christ, the people of God, the church, had a wind, had a breath that it had not had before. Even when Jesus sent his disciples, he breathed on them and said, now go and do what I've told you to do. So there's this kind of echoing back to Genesis 1 and 2 that happens throughout Scripture because Genesis 1 and 2 is meant to serve as our ideal. In fact, one of my favorite books of all time, Garden City by, Mary can tell you, John Mark Comer, uh, it talks about this idea that we're progressing back to this garden city. It's different, but it has some of the same purposes that God is trying to bring his creation back. That we're not necessarily trying to escape to heaven, but we are people who are bringing heaven. That heaven is meant to break into the earth. That we are not escapists. We're not trying to run from the things of this world. We are people who confidently stand in the midst of them because we know who God is and what he is doing in the earth. And so Psalm 1 is this introduction. So I want you to pay really close attention to the word that is used, depending on whatever translation you are using, that happens at the very beginning of Psalm chapter 1 in uh, the NIV translation. You ready? This is the very first word, and it's a loaded word in the church. All right, you ready? Everybody say it. Blessed. Blessed is the one. I'm just going to read all the way through, but I want you to remember that word. This is the introduction. This is the first thing that's said in Psalm 1. It's not accidental. It wasn't meant to be Psalm 72. This is Psalm 1. This is the very first thing. Blessed is the one who does not walk. And that's why I always have to say it, blessed, when you're saying it from the stage. It sounds better. Blessed 
is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That's an important progression. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, as you saw on the video, the wisdom of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Meditation is this idea that you would chew on. It actually has this physical picture of, a, of like a cow chewing on its food, and it chews it and chews it and chews it and chews it. And I'm about to tell you something gross, so just be with me. Bear with me. Choose it, chews it, swallows it, then spits it back up, chews it some more, chews it some more, chews it some more, and then swallows it. That's, that's what we are to do when we meditate on Scripture. We are meant to chew it, to really understand what it is that we are reading day and night. So I want to give you this challenge real quick as an aside. Go download the 90-day reading plan, and then here's what I want to just, I want to challenge you to do this, all right? I want you to read it in the morning, and then I want you to read it again at night. So I want you to do 90 days. Read the psalm for the day, and there's probably a couple, all right? Psalms for the day. Read it in the morning, and then read it at night. Read it when you wake up. Read it when you go to bed. All right, that person, that person, and this is the allusion to Genesis, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which means it has everything it needs. It pictures this idea of stability and strength, which yields its fruit, I love this, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Come on. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I, I want to make some real. I want. I want to make some distinction here, because this happens in um, this happens in the fruit of the spirit, where it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Right. So the spirit is producing something, uh, and then it says, but the works of the flesh lead to something. The wages of sin. In other words. In other words. This is, not, this is not God going, how dare you, I'm leading you to destruction. No, no, no. What he's saying is, for the Lord watches over the way of those who delight in his instruction, and those who do not will be led into destruction. That, that in many ways, what we, what we often think of as God condemning a people, which the scripture is very clear he does not, that, that, that is oftentimes is us condemning ourselves by stepping out of the wisdom of his living. Does that make sense? Like an umbrella that you had to use this week, and your kid steps out of it and goes, Dad, I'm all wet now. And you're like, dude, right here, if I move it, with, I get wet. And I love you. Anyways, so let's go back to that first word, blessed. Blessed. What does that mean, blessed? What is, this is the first word in in all the Psalms, it's meant to be the kind of the, like the next Torah, the instruction of God, retelling the story of God's people. Blessed. And some of us hear that word and go, oh, no. I didn't know I stepped into that church. They're going to tell me about how this is all just going to come and this is all going to happen. Just speak it and do it. And then some of you are going, oh, no, I refuse that. I refuse that. I'm, I, I don't live in that blessing because I am poor and stricken for the sake of the gospel. Okay, and then, and then some of us, what, nobody laughed at that one. Pastor Meredith laughed at that one. Thank you, baby girl. Uh, and, and, and some of you are hearing that and going, amen, I am blessed 
And I, and, but we're using it. In a, and so there, this is a loaded word because that word can be used a lot of different ways and a lot of different reasons. And, and, and churches have used it a lot. You are blessed. That means you're only going to have good things happen to you. Of course, they didn't read the rest of the Psalms uh, because it doesn't, that's not how it goes. So what does it mean, blessed, if even the rest of the Psalms doesn't mean that everything is perfect and all is good? That there's lament and there's frustration and there's mourning and there's grief and there's loss and there's. What does it mean, blessed, if that's in there? What, how does that even make sense? You know, we read the word blessed and we go, when and how often and how much? And we've taken these words sometimes and we've lost definitions. And I, I see that happening in culture. And it gets really confusing when you begin to redefine words. Bless is this word that we've taken and we've kind of made it certain things depending on the circles we run in. And, and, and so it doesn't have the same meaning that Scripture intends for it. So what does it mean to be blessed? I read a book years ago by Glenn Packham. And I used to, we used to take uh, students up to Colorado Springs for youth camp. And this guy was one of the guys, and it was a big church in Colorado Springs. We would hike mountains for a couple days, and then we'd go to a conference. It was uh, exhausting and awesome all at the same time. And Glenn Packham, uh, and he's one of these guys that just is just smarter than everybody, you know? He now preaches, and he's, he's now pastors the downtown campus of that church. Uh, he's written several books. He's got his doctorate. He's just brilliant. He's one of these people you follow, so you sound smart, all right? And he wrote this in a book called he actually called the book Lucky, and he's speaking to the Beatitudes. He says, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the version of scriptures many in Jesus' day would have used, makarios is the word used most often to translate the Hebrew word asar. But asar is not the word for a God-blessed person or thing or action. In fact, it is rarely used of God blessing anything or anyone. Asar is simply, and if you read the Amplified translation, you already know this, Asar is simply happy, favored, prosperous, and has the connotation of one whose paths are straight, which is a way of saying someone for whom things always unfold neatly and nicely. The psalmist in Psalm 1 uses Asar to say, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now mockers, that word mockers is not just being people who make fun of you. It actually speaks to the idea that uh, I'm mocking you for your beliefs. I mean, you know, that kind of is a thing these days. Not just against Christians. We just mock people for anything they believe now. Anything you've come to a conclusion on, I'm going to make fun of you for, especially if I've come to a different conclusion. We shouldn't be those people. Even though Asar has the implication by context that God is the true source or reason for a person's blessedness, it is not inherently a religious word. It is a marketplace word used to simply say that a person is fortunate that he has it good. If we were to use a word today for makarios, we would choose the word lucky. Not lucky as in the result of randomness. Not lucky as in the reward for property, acknowledge, properly acknowledging a superstition or a charm. It is neither the product of erratic chance nor the result of carrying favor with some capricious God. It is simply lucky as we use it conversationally. You lucky dog, you get to take a vacation next week. Or lucky you. Right? So the idea of this word, blessed, is this asar word. It means you are lucky. Now, of course, there's context to this. So we are not saying this away from or outside of God's presence and purpose in it. 
But we are understanding this word as a word that, 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 that Jesus even uses in the Beatitudes. Not a sar, but the, the Greek equivalent was this idea of blessed. Matthew 5, he starts his most famous sermon of all time, right? Saying what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Ble- he's using this word blessed, and he's not using the spiritual word for blessed. He's using the word that simply means happy, fortunate, prosperous. Now, why is he using this word when he's obviously preaching a sermon that we're all going to read later? At least I think he knew that was going to happen. Blessed are you. Now, now, what is Jesus doing in Matthew 5? Many would tell you Jesus is now establishing the new law. He is fulfilling the law and the prophets. He is coming into a place where just as Psalm 1 was doing for Genesis through Numbers, Deuteronomy, that, that Jesus is now doing the same thing in Matthew 5. He's laying out what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He's laying out what the kingdom of God looks like, and he starts it with the same word, blessed. You go back to Genesis 1, creation, and he saw that it was good. Psalm 1, blessed. Wait, what are we talking about? We're talking about those who dwell upon, who meditate on, who delight in the instruction of the Lord, and in their walking and in their posture and in the way they live their life, there seems to be this thing. It doesn't mean nothing bad happens. It means that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And I know that's not easy to hear when something hurts, when something causes pain, when something causes frustration, when something causes grief or loss. I get it. I really do get it. But what the Lord is trying to get across to us is that if we would keep walking, even when you have a dead leg, If you would keep walking in this thing, if you keep walking in this moment, even if you've run into somebody on the basketball court making a good play, they should have gone out of the way. And you've got to keep walking this thing out because bless. And why do we say that? Well, what what is the first thing he does? He doesn't say blessed are you because you do these things. He says blessed are you because you don't do these things. And I just want to tell you something. If we would just not do those three things, even if we forget to delight in the law every once in a while, we would be much more blessed. And what is, now I want, I want to picture this because I think it's really important. Could you put up Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 again? Thank you to our production team. You guys are phenomenal, unbelievable people. Blessed is the one who does not walk, but say walk, or walk in step with the wicked, or stand, everybody say stand. In the way that sinners take, or sit, everybody say sit, in the company of mockers. I want you to understand this. This is a progressive unraveling of a person's posture. This is a progressive posture. No, I'm not talking on the political spectrum. I'm simply saying this is a progressive thing that happens. As we walk by something, then we stop at it. Then we, I'm not going to sit down because it would hurt. And then we sit in it. And soon enough, we are finding ourselves in a posture that is not life-giving, is not full of hope, it's not full of grace towards others, it's not full of, of vision, it's not full of dreams, it's not full of forgiveness, it doesn't have those things. Why? Because we've walked by something and we stopped for a minute, because that was a good, intriguing tweet. It was only a headline, only 140 characters, there's no chance in the world it said everything it needed to say. But I'm here now, I might as well keep looking. 
And then I stand in it. And then soon enough, I get tired of standing, and then I sit in it. And now it's moved from simply walking past something I noticed to now speaking out of my, the abundance of my heart the very things that at once was just something I was walking by. It is this progressive posture of our lives. So, so what is he saying? Hey, don't, don't do that whole thing where you make everyone on the highway stop too just because you want to look at someone else's. Don't do that. Most traffic jams are caused by one person stopping too suddenly for no reason at all. It really is. That is actual, I, I looked it up. It, most traffic jams are not caused by anything substantial. It is one person forgetting that there are other people out here. How many of us have walked by a comment, walked by a situation, walked by a thing, and then stopped? And, and nowadays, it's the, it's the whole thing where someone's having a, someone's getting beat up or someone's getting whatever, and we do, our first step is It's not help, it's document. In some cases, that's helpful, but most cases it's us being willing to be the first person to catch that one, to get this, to catch that. To... We, are, we have become a culture. We've become people who just want to catch it because then we can use it. And ultimately, it usually, it turns into abusing it. And we, we don't, we, we, this is, I, okay. We have to be people who understand that there is a progressive posture to our lives. And the place we have ended up in, in the way we speak, in the way we serve, in the way we love, in the way we care for people we disagree with, in the way we handle a, a comment about some policy or some, and it somehow offends us because we found our identity in it instead of him. We, we, get, we can't even have people at the table because we disagree about what are we talking about I, 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 we, I'm going to be envied because I rise above it because at the end of my life and I said this about uh, Stephen Linda I said this about my parents I, I said this about Joel and Mary I said this about the people in our church who, who've lived a few more years than us who somehow always still have joy and I know what they've walked through and I know I've gotten to have these conversations and I know it hasn't all been easy it all has been just clean and simple and tidy and no bad things have ever happened to them, so clearly they would be happy. No, they, but they just kept walking. They didn't stop. And they didn't sit. <laughs> Day and night, they opened up the liturgy of exiles. The liturgies of those longing for a coming kingdom. And also partnering with God to bring it close. We said, I'm going, to, I'm going to be blessed because I will not walk, I will not stand, and I will not sit. But I will delight, I will chew on, I will meditate on those things. And I will bear fruit. And I will not wither when the times I will stand like a tree planted along the river banks. And if you want a posture that, 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 that shows heaven, then, then you've got to have 
a progressive, a progressive reading and opening and consistency in opening up the Word of God, letting the Holy Spirit illuminate these things and begin to speak life into who you are. I've gone too long, but I want you to understand something today. You are blessed. This is not a lucky like, oh, you did it. It's like, oh, lucky you got Jesus. Oh, you are blessed because God is with you. Or you are blessed because he has inclined your ear, his, his ear to hear you. You are blessed because he has not left you. You are blessed because you can be still and know that he is God. You are blessed because even in the trial and the difficulty, God will not let your enemies prevail. You are blessed. Why? That's all in here. And for thousands of years, men and women have opened up this psalm with their family and said, you're blessed. You're blessed because, you know what? Read Psalm 2. You're blessed because... It, can we progressively adjust our posture so that we inhabit the places of our city, of our neighborhoods, of our workplaces, of our families with the posture of heaven? You're blessed. You are to be envied. You're happy. You're prosperous. Not because it's all going to go well but because God will work it out in you as you stay with him. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are faithful. You are never leaving. You are always constant. Lord, you will bear fruit in season. God, I pray for those in this room right now who are feeling out of season, feeling like fruit has not come, feeling like things are not working. God, I pray that you would begin to bear fruit in their lives. God, I pray that they would not quit. I pray that their walking would not stop to standing, would not become sitting. God, I pray for some of us who have become mockers. We've become those who, who call out people. We've, we've become those who, uh, who speak down to people. We've become those who, who, just, who just can't say anything positive. There's always negative, always just downward, not upward. And God, I pray today that you would release us of the posture. You'd pull us out of our sitting and stand us up again in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, like a tree planted along the riverbank, always having that which it needs, that we would be stable, that we would be steady, that we would be like you created us to be. People of God in the earth, bringing heaven, helping people see Jesus. God, I pray over every life, over every heart, and I pray that we are blessed. We are blessed because we delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.